Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode brought to you by our sponsor, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness, who we featured on episode 145. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I encourage you to go back and take a listen, especially if you are struggling to get and stay in shape as a busy leader. I hope you're having a great day. I have a quick question for you. Do you listen to these episodes on audio or have you tried watching them on video? Well, if you haven't tried these interviews on video yet, I encourage you to do it. We have a growing following now on YouTube, so head on over there and check it out. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to take a look at the leadership books on my website. I've written three leadership books, and I recommend you start with I Have the Watch First. It's filled with 22 short stories that will help you become a leader worth following. It's a quick read, and most people finish it in less than in three hours. It's also available on Kindle and Audible so you can listen in your car or while working out. So check out all my books either on Amazon or my website, johnsrenny.com. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about the fourth industrial revolution and what we need to know about it as leaders. My guest is Marty Groover. Marty is a former U.S. Navy surface warfare officer who served for more than 20 years. He is the best-selling author of Speed of Advance, How the U.S. Navy's Convergence of People, Process, and Technology Can Help Your Business Win in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. If you've ever wondered about the future of the workplace and what our roles will be as leaders, this is your episode. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Marty Groover. Marty is a partner at C5MI, a firm that optimizes operational execution through the creation of live supply chains. He is a former U.S. Navy surface warfare officer who served for more than 20 years. He is the best-selling author of Speed of Advance, How the U.S. Navy's Convergence of People, Processes, and Technologies 
can help your business win in the fourth industrial revolution. Now, I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about the idea of a fourth industrial revolution and what we need to know about it as leaders. So, Marty, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, John. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I am as well. It's great to have another naval officer uh, on deck, uh, and uh, we won't dive deep uh, for your <laughs> sake. But uh, yeah, well, you're going to say I was I was a target. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we I was a bubblehead. You were a target, right? That's so right. yeah. But uh, so tell us about your background. What did you do in the Navy? I know you served for 21 years, and you did a lot of things. So tell us tell us a little bit about what you did when you were in the Navy. Sure, I. Uh, I had this idea that I was going to join the Navy and get advanced electronics and then go over to the Space Coast. The space shuttle was going on. So a couple of people said, hey, if you get advanced electronics, you get a good job over there. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. I'll go in there, kind of booting around college, not really figuring out what I wanted to do. So I joined as an E1 and my cousin was in the Navy and he said, yeah, fire controlman, sonar tech, ET, and any advanced electronics. And I started looking up what a fire controlman was and they don't control fires. They start them. You know, that's what we used to say. <laughs> so it, it was really exciting. Um, I know you mentioned your son's a fire control. It's such a cool rate. And um, just really loved it. Got in the Navy, was an E1, worked my way up to E6. A lot of fun being working on weapon systems, really learning a lot about troubleshooting, you know, critical thinking, things like that. Love the Navy, love the, the camaraderie and the esprit de corps and all that. And uh, put in my officer package, I had a mentor that said, hey, you know, you're, you're a leader. You, you think about this as, you know, being an officer is a pretty good deal. And limited duty officers, as you know, in the Navy are technical experts. And I really like that idea of being that expert. And so then made Ensign and became a Aegis Systems Test Officer, which is a fancy name for being in charge of making everything in the weapon system work. 250 pieces of software had to be loaded specifically together to make that whole system work as a platform, not individual components. Um, spent some time there doing that. Uh, was engagement control officer with Tomahawk missiles. Loved that. Did a lot of combat operations, a lot of cruises. Um, went to de deploy to Kuwait with the Marines for a year. So being an officer in a tent with Marines, probably not the best place to be, but it was interesting. <laughs> and and then finished my career as the C5I officer on the John F. Kennedy Strike Group, uh, Car Group 6 staff, the Carrier Strike Group 6 staff. And my job was to make all the strike group ships work together, all 20 of them, and um, make their comms work and their links work and all that. And you imagine um, how complicated that was running all their maintenance. But that command control, computers, communications, and then that intelligence formed together really, you know, made the power of the strike group. And then I retired, uh, you know, after 21 years and went to work at, at Caterpillar. So uh, it, it was a great transition. Um from going from an officer. My last job in the Navy, I was responsible for um, intermediate maintenance, uh, tech services, overhauls of ships, and I used SAP. I really learned the power of live data, and it was exciting, and I went to Caterpillar after I retired. Okay, and so Caterpillar is where you get your first taste of manufacturing and supply chain management? Yeah, absolutely. So I started as a manufacturing engineer, in their track type tractor facility, leg legacy facility, you know, 3 million square foot heavy duty fabrication and manufacture. I was in charge of assembly and paint. So it was a, it was a really a fire hose uh, lesson in manufacturing. I, you know, obviously had done some big stuff with weapon systems. And so I was comfortable with it, but then I really learned manufacturing, engineering, routing, safety, quality, you know, all those things you got to do to make a product. And, and, you know, you were in manufacturing. It's amazing the appreciation you have when you walk through a store and you see a product 
when you start thinking about, <laughs> I know how this stuff is made. It's not easy, right? I mean, it it's is not easy. Job. Yeah, yeah, it's not easy. Supply chain, but you know, you, you talk about supply chain. That's one of the biggest aspects of it is bringing these, you know, the individual parts and components all to match up on the shop floor at the right time, and and uh, with all the variables that go into it, it's it's uh, it's not easy. So it's like a puzzle you're always constantly trying to work to solve. It's a lot of math, right? And then a lot of hope that it gets there on time. Because when you're in assembly and you're the last uh, piece of it, you everything everybody else's delays is is your problem now. You got to try to play catch up. So I used to tell my young uh, manufacturing engineers, I said, welcome to manufacturing. I hope you don't mind failing because every day you're going to fail. The one day that everything works right, you better cherish it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a lucky day if that happens. <laughs> so, exactly. so what you what were some? You know, I noticed when I came out of the Navy and I went into corporate America. I mean, I saw a lot of differences. What were some differences that you saw going from, you know, this highly technical um, warship where everything's communicating with all these multiple platforms, uh, you know, air, sea, undersea, and then you come to Caterpillar? What were some of the things you noticed right away? Well, first of all, I was ecstatic to go work for a Fortune 100 company, iconic American company, Caterpillar. I couldn't have been happier um, that I got that job, and I was so proud of it. Um, but when I got there, I started seeing, you know, and and don't get me wrong, Caterpillar is one of the best manufacturers in the world, obviously, and and they make the best quality products. But the siloed information everywhere—it's like every time I found out something failed, it was too late. I I couldn't fix it. I'm finding out about it late, days late, and then you're trying to do, uh, it's almost like, you know, uh, cold case files, 48 hours after a quality event happened or whatever, trying to recreate that crime scene and then fix it. It was just, uh, it seemed like always a tail chase. And, and you know, I started, I was a Six Sigma black belt, like you mentioned you were, and I started realizing the power of reducing variation. And I started tinkering with technology. I put some Andon systems in and really try to drive um, better outcomes. We were also um, implementing Caterpillar production system at the time. So I really got the fire hose training on the Toyota way, how to measure things. And it started clicking. Oh, speed of advance, measurement, actual versus plan in the Navy, all the, you, and you know, you measure everything in the Navy, the amount of water every day, the amount of food, all that stuff. Cause you don't have the resources at sea, you know, you've got to really manage it. And then, you know, so I got in, in the civilian world and one day somebody told me, I thought it was funny. They said, oh, you must be so used to having so much money. It must be so easy to be in the military, just an endless budget. I said, I can remember admirals telling me that we, Admiral Borda telling us, hey, guys, we got a tight budget. We're going to have to cut these sponges in half. And I'm thinking, you know, I was watching the capital plans and stuff we had in the, in the factory. And it's just amazing the difference, you know, compared to how we were scraping by in the Navy. Yeah, yeah. So you you actually saw that the, you felt there was more money in the civilian world than there was in the military. I've seen the capital budgets and and <laughs> what we had to go out and spend the next year. I mean, you know how hard it is to get a project, get it approved, get the SOW, get the SIN, get it and run it through. I mean, millions and millions of dollars put in large machinery. I mean, it's just, it just was different than what I was used to with the ship's budgets and and you know scraping by and trying to make things work and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think I saw it quite that way. Of course, I was on a Ohio class submarine yeah. and we see a little, uh, so. <laughs> little bit different maintenance uh, dollars. Yeah. Surface yeah. ships well, are maybe uh, slightly uh, different. different but, yeah. uh, oh, you can go by a little bit longer. That's OK. <laughs> exactly. Make it work, guys. <laughs> Make it work. 
So let me uh, let me ask you about uh, your company C five MI. What do you guys do there, and uh, what is it? What do you guys do? Yeah, so it's made up. There's four partners. We're all Caterpillar executives, and why we were there, it was funny. So I I deployed SAP again when I was a factory manager, and and I really had learned how to use it in the Navy. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make this the best factory using live data. Sort of, you know, my experience. Like I said, I was Marty McFly, seeing the future. How am I going to use it? So I deployed it and, and we were the best go live. We changed, we changed quality by measuring live, live data for quality, analytics, um, maintenance, all that stuff. And we really improved the quality, velocity, cost, safety in that factory. And I bitched about, about uh, the SAP deployments enough. And you know how you complain about something and they put you in charge of it. And then they moved me yeah. to global information systems. So they put the Fox in the hen house, the ops guy in IT in charge of global SAP deployments. And I really tried to change the way we thought about these systems instead of just, oh, it's just a system we have to put in. It's horrible to like, there's a lot of live data. If you, if you can codify these processes digitally. So fast forward, had a lot of success, did some industry 4.0 um, advanced manufacturing projects with real-time location tracking, um, predictive maintenance, things like that. And we all realized like, Hey, this is really the way we got to go forward. And in the cloud computing, it's all there. So we started the company to leverage SAP products, but put digital manufacturing, digital asset management, digital supply chain on top of the transactional system, sort of like we had the weapon systems and then we had the analytical systems on top of it, kind of the same thought. So we started the company to help companies um, drive productivity, get visibility, adaptability, predictability, all the way up the maturity curve, how to use the core system right, and then how to leverage that live data to get better business outcomes. That's interesting to hear that. And it's good to hear that. I know, you know, uh, you know, people listening on, in on this probably have had some nightmare scenarios with SAP. I'm one of them. And uh, we had a company that decided we were only going to put plain vanilla SAP into all of our factories. And, and it basically destroyed everything I had uh, from the previous system. And uh, and it was it was a nightmare. And I lost the visibility of the business. And uh, we ended up working for the system instead of the system working for yeah. us. And that was, um, and what was funny was there was no realization above and upper management as to what we were dealing with on the on the on the on the ground floor. Yes, we got SAP live by the date that they wanted, but it was uh, we lost visibility yeah. of our production systems, and it was a uh, it was a nightmare. So it's it's good to hear that there's uh, companies out there or helping you do it better than the way we yeah. did it. Well, we call sure. ourselves like the booty sattvas. We we can help you get to nirvana. We've been there. We've done it. <laughs> That's the difference with us. We're all practitioners. We run PL, so we understand how to leverage that data. And I, I've seen it too many times where they just slam it in to get the financial piece, right? Because they just think it's a financial. Right. right. It is, but it's a very powerful um, platform if you understand how to use it. But just like any tool, it could be useless if, if you don't understand it. And And the manufacturing people... If you help them and show them the way, the power of it is just unbelievable. With the it is very data. powerful, but it's also complicated. And so, when we were starting our business, uh, I when we were deciding on systems, I did not choose SAP. Yeah. So, <laughs> only because we were a small manufacturer, I yeah. wanted that capability, but not the complexity and the cost. So, oh, the cost uh, is huge. the system we have is is perfect for what we we need, yeah. and it's scalable for 
the next 10 years. But after that, maybe I'll be calling you. <laughs> It'll be easier. Well, and that's that's the thing. That's why I wrote the book the way I did. It's not about the technology. It really isn't. It's what capability do you need to get better business outcomes? SAP just happens to be what we focus on because of our background and, and our customer base. We've got a large um, project we're doing with DLA, the largest implementation of a warehouse management system. So we're we're used to working at scale. But what I tell people is, don't just buy SAP. A lot of people buy best of breed. Oh, I'm going to buy the best of breed. It's going to be magic. There's no magic. There's no silver bullets. There's hard work and understanding what capabilities. And you know, as a black belt, it's all about reducing variation and getting consistency through your manufacturing or whatever business you know that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with 100%. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk about the book, Speed of Advance. Uh, those who are watching on YouTube, you can see it in his background. Great looking book, great looking cover with uh, that whole, all the Navy there. Is there a submarine in that picture, I hope? Uh, there really? might be. That's a strike group. There might be one working <laughs> usually, around, you know. <laughs> usually the wolf is out front. So. Yep, that's right. <laughs> but uh, so talk, tell us about the book. Uh, what was the origin for it? And why did you write it? Who is it for? So as I got into manufacturing, I started just, you know, Kip, I've seen this before, like Marty McFly. I've seen the future. I've seen this before. And it's really about if I can just measure actual versus plan live, it's it's amazing. But it's not just the technology. you got to really understand how to. And I didn't at the time, I did not appreciate how the Navy converts people process the technology. You know this well. We plan for rotation of people. It happens every yep. time you turn around. So you always have to be ready and command by negation and all these things that you didn't, you just did them. You know, you don't, if the, if offs, it, I, the funniest thing that was ever said to me, oh, when you were an officer, it must've been great. You just told people what to do and they did it. I said, if I had to tell them what to do in their job, we're in trouble. Right. I said, my job was to lead the ship and fight the ship. I said, those people were trained. They knew what to do. We had all these plans and and if something happened they just reacted and so i started seeing how this wasn't that way in the commercial world and i actually implemented it when i was a factory manager and ops manager i i didn't have any choice i had a factory literally got there four days before go live with sap my general manager said hey safety's not great quality's not much better you know they're not meeting their but they're not meeting their uh, commitments on their shipments and they're they haven't hit their budget in a while. If you don't fix it, I'm going to close. I'm like you could have told me that before <laughs> I took the job, maybe. <clears throat> so I really just started applying these principles of safety first, right? That was the first thing I worked on. But if you fix safety, you'll fix quality because if you get people to report safety incidents, stop and fix all that, you can translate it over. And once we started fixing quality and safety, and we did maintenance on the equipment gave the maintenance people time, all of a sudden, guess what? Our velocity started going through yeah. and scrap went down and we started hitting our budgets. All of a sudden, I was like, ding, 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 this is working. And um, so I just implemented things that I learned and that speed of advanced measurement and what I was taught about training people and keeping everybody trained, watch team replacement, who's the next person, give them some experience so that when something happens, they're ready to go. And then really, how do you apply the technology in the best way, not to irritate people like your experience with SAP, but how does it enhance you know, what they do and empower them? And that's kind of what I thought about. And I said, hey, I got to write this book. It's just something that I put it on my vision board. I'm a big vision bird person. And I just started evolving. I was telling people when I write a book, they're like, yeah, yeah, everybody says that. And then finally, I, I got there and I'd seen it and I've done it enough. And I said, nope, it's got to be written. People really need to think about this strategy and, and how it works. So 
that's what the genesis of it was. And, and so far, I mean, a lot of people have liked it. I've gotten a lot of, you know, people read it like, wow, this is, I try to keep it simple and, and, you know, really tools that you can use more or less in your bag. I love it. Tell us a little bit about what the, the title means, speed of advance. So speed of advance, and, and this is really, it just, again, I'm just cementing myself in there. So every day my build conformance is my, is my um, speed of advance, right? So speed advance, I have um, a course, I know when I need to get there, and I'm constantly measuring my speed to keep an efficient speed through the water, but I may have to speed up and gain some time because I got to do engineering drills or I got to do an underway replenishment or whatever, but I'm always playing with that to keep the ship in the most efficient speed because, you know, as well as I do, it's not like you pull over to a gas station out at sea, you only have so much fuel and you always try to maintain a certain level in case you got a sprint or whatever. So it's just that constant live measurement of actual versus planned um, there. And it really trickles down to everything else you're doing on a ship. Everybody works on speed of advance. Captain comes on a bridge. You're the officer of deck. You better know speed of advance. But same thing down in combat. You know, the the um, combat information officer, he's got to know that. And the Chang's got to know it. Everybody's got to know what the SOA is. And that's kind of everything else revolves around that when you're on a surface ship. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This podcast is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Now, don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to help take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. Now, I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. So if you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at jeremyclevengerfitness.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com, or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. By the way, we never had to stop to refuel our uh, submarine. Yeah. We had a nuclear <laughs> reactor, so we were good for 30 years. So, uh, but uh, we still, we still, I know we, we didn't really use the term speed of advance as much, but mostly because we were wandering around the Atlantic trying to stay hidden. So it was a little yeah. bit of a different, uh, a little um, bit mission. of hide and seek. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a different mission, but uh, so help us understand uh, what is the fourth industrial revolution? Um, what does it look like? What does it feel like? When is this happening? Is it happening now? To help us understand it, because I know I'm new to it, uh, and I know I've heard the terminology, but it's not something I, I deal with in my business. So the third industrial revolution, I'll just go back in history a little bit, started really at the at the late 70s, early 80s with the, um, they call it the Silicon Age or the PC Age. And you remember inflation was so high, and then, you know, people like to romanticize that one person came in, made all these changes, and all of a sudden it got it got good. It, it really wasn't. The productivity gains that we got from PCs really propelled the growth that we've had. And now with cloud computing, sensors, everything getting cheaper, and, you know, you just look at how much memory you have on everything. Heck, my watch has more memory than, you know, my computers had, you know, supercomputers used to have before. But it's really gotten us to a point where we can create a common operational picture like we had on the Aegis weapon system, pulling everything together from level zero operational technology all the way up to the transactional systems, making it all connect and read and and live, sort of like your cars are these days. Everything's connected and measures all sorts of stuff um, going forward. So the idea behind it, the Silicon Age is really kind of petering out, and the fourth industrial revolution is going to automate a lot of things. Everything's going to be visible. You're going to have AI, machine learning, meaning just like we had in the Aegis weapon system, we needed to be able to track hundreds of air targets at the same time, constantly measure them, know which one's going to be the biggest threat, and already have a doctrine about which ones that we would fire at first, how far we would fire, how many shots we had. So it was all pre-planned responses, and it was all based off algorithms and things like that because the man couldn't manage it anymore. Well, that's where we're at now, the end of the Silicon Age. We've got so much data now, we're actually less productive. Since 2011, every year for 30 years in the last Industrial Revolution, we've gotten 3 to 5% productivity gains. We've actually got negative productivity gains since, you know, depending on where you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics on the multi-factor of productivity. And it's really affects how we're going to overcome the inflation we're feeling now. So the fourth industrial revolution will, a lot of people are afraid it's going to take away people's jobs. It will not. What it will do is empower people and allow them to manage a lot more things that the computers can't manage, but by exception, if that makes sense. So automate everything that you don't need a human to do, but you know, make it very productive. We need those exponential gains in productivity. And that's what it's going to bring. Now, think about my grandparents. Um, I don't know how old yours were, but mine were born in the early 1900s. And what they saw, the exponential changes through the 40s and 50s and 60s, that's kind of what we're going to see with the Industrial Revolution. By 2050, things are going to be so automated, it's going to be a wholly, whole different world. Um, just look at what we've seen with Star Trek and some of the stuff that, you know, Star Trek technology ever seen it. That That's where it's going to go. And a lot of things will be automated with supply chains and, and automated, you know, delayed differentiation and 3D printing, additive printing. It's just going to be amazing where we're going to go. Yeah, I definitely see the building blocks happening as, you know, and I'm an old guy that's been doing it 
you know, I've been in manufacturing for, uh, well, 22 years in corporate and six years of my own. So, you know, 30 years in manufacturing, I've seen a big shift in, in what have you. Uh, and I'm seeing the building blocks, but right now it seems like things are disconnected and maybe like there's there's silos of technology in different places, but they're not all talking to each other and all working together. Everything is still manual. Um, I still get faxes from customers occasionally. And I'm like, what is that? You know, yeah, no uh, so <laughs> but I do see what you're saying, like all this stuff, the technology is getting to the point that the, the price points coming down. AI is becoming a bigger play. I definitely see where you can see where it's at put some point we're going to have these systems all talking and we're going to be able to manage by exception. That makes a lot of sense to me. What I worry about and, and, and what's interesting to me and, and get to get your you know thoughts on it is what's the role of the leader when that happens? Because really a leader is about motivating a group of people to get something done. Right. And and so what's that going to look like, uh, you know, in by 2050? Well, I think what it's going to be is is we're going to go, and I think about my role as a systems test officer, we're going to go to more systematic thinking, which means that a leader is going to be able to manage a larger piece of whatever you're in your supply chain, and you're going to be thinking differently. So you are a black belt, you know, a domain process. With these tools, you can define, measure, and analyze everything to begin with. And then when you have by exceptions or you have things that aren't there, the human's going to be really the ones that that do the innovation to do improve and control. What's the next piece? Where Where's the next productivity? How do we fill this void? What's the next piece? So it's going to be like this clad-on building, sort of like cars. I mean, look at the technologies, and then we got you know live batteries, and we got alternators. And then it's just going to keep continue if you look at the way um toyota i love toyota they kept the camry they kept they didn't change the name they didn't do the you know the ford uh you know thing where they get rid of models and start a new one but they just kept getting better and better and better and better and as every time they saw a gap they keep improving it and that's the way leaders are going to think differently they're going to think about how to improve the next process how to get that much more productivity out of it so instead of motivating people, the people are going to be empowered and they're going to be the leaders to think about what's the next thing. How do we keep the system uh, improving instead of today? What are they? Firefighters. I got to go solve. I got to solve all these problems. I never get ahead of it. I think that's what it's going to involve. You're going to start looking past your windshield instead of looking in the rear view mirror. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'm looking forward to those days. <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, you know, um, your your book is is broken down into three parts, uh, people, process, and technology. And, and, and you've talked a little bit about it, but talk a little bit about how these three are going to work together, like, like in the future. And I think you mentioned a little bit of it, but, um, you know, we've got, we've got people who, you know, are, you know, are challenging sometimes, right? You know, we, yeah, I always say people are messy, right? So we got all the, we got people who are not AI. They're, they're, yeah. they're just I. <laughs> so, and you've got processes which are going to be shifting and getting better and getting smarter. And we got technologies that be constantly changing. How are these three things going to be playing together in the future? Well, I think first you have to look at your people and, and what are you trying to, to do with them? How do you engage them? You know, the workforce demographics are changing. I, and a lot of people say, oh, millennials are lazy. This I found that I put technology in their hand. I get I get outcomes I could have never imagined if I can give them the data and give them the tools. And the, the key piece is what do you really need them to do going forward? You want them to solve problems, not 
try to find problems and try to pull data and look where the problems are. You want them to execute your processes as much as is automated. They're going to need to understand how things work better. There's not going to be a maintenance crew and like fire control. I and mean, there wasn't a maintenance crew that kept the fire control systems up and then operators. They were the same people. Why? It was so complex. You had to do that. Right. And that's where we're going to go there. That's my analogy to that. But then the codification of processes, how do you take a digit a process and digitize it where it's codified and it, the system does it? Now these people are analyzing the flow of that process through the system, the codification of it. And then the technology is then an enabler to get those business outcomes. So for instance, um, we put in some real-time location tracking for a customer. They were spent sending someone around the shop floor to track 270 of these carts with metal parts on them that they make axial fans, you know, for uh, exhaust and stuff with. And think about that, a person running around, is that what you really want somebody doing with a yellow pad of paper and say, it's here now, but I can't find it now and spending, you know, 30, 30, 40 minutes an hour on a shift? Or do you want a system to say, ding, 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 this cart's here. And if you don't move it over here and get it to the next process, you're not going to meet your committed ship date and and then collect the analytics to make it better and better so that the people can um, make the processes work better. And if you engage people and they have clarity, um, I think these systems will really drive um, people to just think different about things instead of the drudgery of work. They'll be, you know, engaged to to drive these improvements. What I've seen is when people understand, I used to do rewards, you'll appreciate this for quality defects. I do a reward poster and say, whoever solves this is going to get the money from it. And I've had people get thousands of dollars because I engage them. And instead of the drudgery of, oh, I put a part here, who cares if it's bad, whatever. Now it's like, wait a minute, this process is not good. I can make it better. And it's just amazing when you flip the light on like that, what you get. And then you're using technology to enable that human piece that you can't, I don't care how much technology you have, you can't make up for human intuition, insight, and um, you know just the way people think about things differently than a computer could. You think, you know, one of the things we're seeing, like a trend we're seeing is that um, people, you know, aren't loyal to companies anymore. They, you know, they tend to leave um, companies and there's no stigma attached to having, you know, uh, multiple jobs in your resume of, of two years apiece. Uh, do you think that as we move to this new new way of doing business, uh, is there is there a way that people are going to be plugged into a company to the point where they're going to want to stay? Is it is, is something I, I just I'm trying to imagine if it's going to be are we still going to face the same challenges with people leaving every two years? Uh, or do you think that we can create a, a way that people are going to be engaged and want to stay at a company and want to be part of something that's, uh, uh, you know, bigger than they are? Yeah, I think the happiest I've ever seen people is when they felt like they were appreciated and had control of the process and were engaged in it. And they felt like they they um, were part of it. I think what I see is you can give people all the money in the world, but if they feel like every day they go to work and no one cares what they think about, and I got a whole section about including their thoughts, but if you empower them and you get, and they feel like they're running a business, one, that's the whole idea of industry 4.0. Where does the undercover boss go? Does he go to the middle management and say, come on guys, he goes to shop floor all the time or she does. What's the lowest level and why isn't my business working? Imagine if you could push your business and you had the right data and stuff to help these people and they knew what to do and you push it all the way down to that level and they're driving your business, how much better would it be? But they're also going to be more engaged because they're going to like what they do. 
They're going to feel like they're empowered and they're going to feel like they're making an impact. We just put some people said, oh, you can't measure people on their processes. They're going to they're going to feel like big brothers watching. We gamified it and made it different for the fork truck drivers. And that's not a fun job. It's a boring job every day. But after a while, they had their own like baseball scorecard. And they said, oh, if you want me to do this, what you're trying to get me to do? What if we did this? This all of a sudden it just flips the yeah. coin and they and they get engaged and they enjoy it. You know, it's just different. Pe- humans are very curious, inquisitive. They hate drudgery. And I think if you can if you can use the technology to engage them, you're going to get they're going to be happier and they're probably going to stay with you as long as you reward them for their their inputs. Like, you know, what we tried to do and they made things better. Give them give them some money, you know, reward. Them. That. That, that's great. Great advice, great thoughts. The idea of gamifying their 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 roles and making it interesting and fun, so it's not drudgery. I, I love that. It's really interesting. We haven't really talked about that too much in the show, and and we have, but that's a that's a great that's great insight in, into into what what the future could look like. Um, one thing you say in the book, and I like this, and I wanted you to get your thoughts on. You say uh, mission first, people always. What does that mean? You know. Sometimes, and especially young managers or young officers think that, well, I don't really want to drive the people too hard. They won't like me. They'll, and, and it's just the opposite. You got to make sure if everybody understands the mission and they have clarity. This is one thing that we were measured on at Caterpillar as leaders. The first thing you work on is leaders' clarity. And what is clarity? I understand my mission. And I, I talk to people, when were you the happiest? When I knew what my mission was and I knew what my role was and I, and I was going after it because then I got it. And I saw what I was doing and I knew what I had to do. So mission first, then people always engage the people, make sure they understand the mission, give them the clarity, empower them, train them, reward them. And then you then you don't have to work as hard. And ideally, you work yourself out of a job by giving them responsibility as fast as they can take it. And there's a lot of people that don't get that. They think, well, if I give up my power of knowledge or my power of this, I'm not going to be. Uh, you know, as as good, you know, seen as as good as what I am, and I don't have that power. But it's just the opposite. You empower people, and you get way more power than you can ever imagine. So I like that a lot. That's great. That's great to hear that. So, how can our listeners find out more about you, uh, your company, and this uh, successful new book? So, for our company, www.c5mi.com, we've got a lot of great videos on there that explains our different solutions, digital manufacturing, real-time location tracking. Um, they can contact us there if they want some help um, with thought leadership or actually implementing solutions to improve their better their business outcomes. And then I have a website for just personal consulting, um, www.speedofadvance.com, where if they want to come look at my background and, and contact me and see if I can help them develop that strategy based on the book um, to really think about it. Because if you just go off and do best and breed or try to buy technology, there's no silver bullet. What I really, my intent of this book was to help people think about how do they want to do business? How do they want to converge people? What capability they really need? And then, you know, leverage technology to get there. Okay. Sounds good. And the book is available everywhere. Books are sold. Yep. And um, I, I, People always told me, don't do your audiobook until you, you had success. So I hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller. The audiobook should be out in the next few weeks. And that'll nice. be available also on uh, you know, all the audio systems. So. Are you gonna read it yourself? No, I I didn't do that. <laughs> I wish I had enough time, but I'm running a business. And when they started telling me how long it takes, you got to go to the studio, I was like, geez, I don't know if I could do it. And uh I don't know that anybody wants to listen to my voice anyway. So I tried to pick 
Full confession, I did not do the audio versions of my book either for those same reasons. And uh, and so, yeah, so I was just curious. It's People hard say to, to me, oh, I would have loved to have you read it. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand how difficult that is to do, to sit in a studio and every little error has to be fixed. And the people that do the do the audiobooks that do the reading the ones the people i've hired they're amazing at their yeah. craft and they're and that that's what they do for a living yeah because i mean talking is one thing but then reading even though it's your own words to get the inflection and and yeah, yeah the yeah. timing it's just like yeah no yeah i yeah. tried i read I read some stuff out loud and filmed myself on the camera. I'm like, no, that's not you. <laughs> <laughs> You're too busy. You got too many more things, important things to do. So leave it to the professionals. Now, I love it. That's really good. Um, and again, listeners, I really encourage you to take a look at this book, Speed of Advance, and and, and start thinking about a little bit about what this fourth industrial revolution looks like in your business going forward. Maybe you're not in manufacturing, maybe you're in the service industry doesn't matter the, the technology is going to change what you're doing and you have to be thinking about how that's going to affect you and your role as leaders and what your people are going to be doing in the future. You need to start thinking about it. And uh, this is a good book to get you to start thinking about it. So uh, Marty, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing all of your insight. Hey, John, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for your service. You know, it's Veterans Week. I always want to make sure people think about veterans and the sacrifices that they made. So it's great talking to a fellow uh, serviceman. Yeah, absolutely. And same to you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your long service. And thank you for taking really what you learned in the service and applying it to help people here, you know, in 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 business to, to get better. And I think, you know, that's what I try to do in my books. And I can see you're doing that in your book. And uh, I really think that's important. And uh, I really appreciate you doing that. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks again. Well, thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.